0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome to the 2009 Major League Baseball First Year Player Draft. The Washington Nationals select Stephen
2: Strasburg. He
3: strikes out the side. He brings his total to 14.
1: Nolan Arenado. He was drafted in the second round.
2: Career hit number 1,000.
1: Paul Goldschmidt drafted out of Texas State.
3: That's number 200.
1: J.D. was drafted and developed by the Astros.
3: Homers in four consecutive plate appearances.
1: The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim select Michael Trout. A unanimous
3: American League MVP, Mike Trout.
1: Swinging first pitch, drives one out to center field, that ball is gone! Big fly for Mike Trout.
4: Greetings baseball fans, I'm Anthony Kastrovitz, MLB.com national columnist, and this is the fourth of six installments in our series going deep on the 2009 MLB amateur draft and how it changed baseball. In the first inning of his second game wearing the Birds on the Bat logo of the St. Louis Cardinals across his chest, Paul Goldschmidt stepped to the plate at Miller Park on March 29th, worked the count full against Brewers starter Freddie Peralta, and then did what he had done so many times before with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Runner goes, and Goldschmidt hits a drive, out to deep left. It's at the wall.
0: How about number one? It is gone! It's gone! Smith his first as a Cardinal and you could see that baby coming you're gonna love him in St. Louis
4: in the sixth inning he did it again
0: how about his second a long one deep left goodbye his second game as a Cardinal and his second home run Cardinals
4: go back on top Goldschmidt has done it again And in the seventh inning, he did it again. Goldschmidt, high drive, out to left. You bet! He's
1: done
0: it! He's done it! Three home runs!
4: All winter, Cardinals fans had been enamored with the idea of what the man known as Goldie could bring to the heart of their lineup. They knew, from his days with the D-backs, for whom he had won four Silver Slugger awards, three gold gloves, been an All-Star six times, and finished in the top three of the MVP voting three times that he was one of the game's most special players. And here, in a three-homer game, on the second day of the season, was the living proof. Goldschmidt had also earned a reputation as one of the game's most special people. Former D-backs hitting coach Mark Grace once called him Jesus Christ in a baseball uniform. Tony La Russa saw so many parallels between Goldschmidt and a certain right-handed slugger that he used to manage in St. Louis that he referred to Goldie as Albert P. Pujols, the P standing for perfect. But perhaps the best nickname given to Goldschmidt was the one that arose from his Arizona teammates. They called him America's first baseman. Broad-shouldered, clean-cut, a model citizen. And when the D-backs began a retooling period in the winter leading up to the 2019 season, Goldschmidt's numbers and reputation made him one of America's top trade targets. The Cardinals landed him, and before he played so much as a single regular season game for them, they signed him to a five-year, $130 million contract extension. Within the context of how Goldschmidt is viewed now, it's difficult to fathom how he was viewed a decade ago. Back in 2009, he was selected by Arizona in the eighth round of the amateur draft. He was a Texas State product, a Cape Cod League reject, and in what would become a brief minor league career, he was never a prominent prospect. If not for the persistence of his parents, Goldschmidt might not have even been a baseball player at all. This is the story of how America's 246th pick became America's first baseman, how the Diamondbacks struck gold, or rather, goldie, in the 2009 draft. Goldschmidt drafted out of Texas State by the D-backs in the 8th
1: round in 2009. Paul Goldschmidt singles in his first Major League at-bat. First big league home run, Paul Goldschmidt. And that one is gone. Paul Goldschmidt, there's 100 for Goldie. Goldie with a terrific backhand spinning stab.
2: What a play by America's first baseman.
1: And it's gone! It's number two hundred for Paul
2: Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, the six-time All-Star first baseman, heads to St. Louis.
0: Three home runs, Goldschmidt. Three home run night. Three in his second game as a Cardinal.
4: Kids love McDonald's. It's science. No, seriously, it is science. Some years back, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the University of Kansas Medical Center showed 10 to 14-year-olds more than 100 brand logos, then watched the results in an MRI. The medical imaging scan showed their reward and pleasure centers flaring when they saw logos for food companies. Just the logos alone received the same results as showing images of actual food. And because McDonald's owns possibly the most ubiquitous logo of them all, those golden arches promising hungry observers a budget-friendly sodium and sugar spree at more than 14,000 locations nationwide, its effect on the young brain can be positively Pavlovian. What does all of this have to do with the great baseball career of Paul Goldschmidt? Well, maybe everything. Because it was there at the McDonald's at the Panther Creek Shopping Center in the Woodlands, Texas. Under the glow of the fluorescent lights, in the shadow of the play place, amid that unmistakable, seductive smell of grease and fry fat, that's where a six-year-old Paul Goldschmidt agreed to give baseball a try. Up until that moment, and that meal, the kid from Houston, Texas, was bullish against baseball. He wanted nothing to do with it. He played soccer, he played indoor rollerblade hockey, and damn it, he was happy. David and Kim Goldschmidt wanted their son to be happy. They didn't want to be those parents, you know the type, forceful, fussy, forever unsatisfied, living out their own athletic fantasies through the tired bodies and frazzled minds of their children. But it is human nature to want those we love to love the things we love. And David loved baseball. David's side of the family is Jewish. His grandmother, Ilse Goldschmidt, had been an heiress to a large German printing company. But in 1938... She and her husband, Paul, and their son, Ernie, fled the Nazis prior to the Holocaust. They immigrated to Boston with barely a penny to their name. Ilsa sold candy door to door, and Paul worked in the food business, eventually opening a luncheonette. They worked to make a better life for Ernie, who would do the same for his son, David, who would do the same for his son, Paul. David worked in the flooring industry and did well enough to move his family to the Woodlands, an affluent suburb of Houston. The Goldschmidt family was the embodiment of the American dream. And David, born in Boston and a proud and passionate member of Red Sox nation, knew that no sport accompanies the American dream quite so well as baseball. So yeah, he wanted Paul to play it and to grow to love it as much as he did. And the first real conversation about this did not go very well. Actually, the first conversation was pretty simple. David said, it's time to sign up for baseball. And Paul said... I don't want to. Not a good start. And if David weren't such a big baseball fan, maybe it all would have ended right then and there. But the next day, with David out of town on a work trip, Kim, knowing how much this all meant to her husband, sensed a lunchtime opportunity. The decision on whether or not to play baseball would still be Paul's and Paul's alone. But you know, what could it hurt to maybe have a Chicken Nuggets Happy Meal on the table while that final decision was being made? Kim and David Goldschmidt relayed the story of that lunch to my colleague, Richard Justice.
5: Next day, I took Paul, and I said, Paul, let's go have some lunch. So we go to McDonald's, and we're sitting there, and I said, you know, Paul, your dad and I don't want you to do things that we want you to do. We want you to explore your own, but just this one time, I'm going to ask you to do one thing. I said, "Will you play one year of baseball for your dad, and if you don't like it, you never have to play again. Okay, Mom.
4: Now, how old was the Paul then? Six years old. Six years old. Six years old.
5: He even thought he was never going to play baseball again. So, so, so like, wait,
4: so what happened?
5: He fell in love with it. He got out there, he played, he, you know, you meet friends. And he we were always watching it.
1: it, and uh, I don't know what happened, but just he didn't want to play, obviously. His mom bribed him by taking him to McDonald's, and he played. and he, <laughs> uh, he ended up loving it and never played soccer again and never really played basketball or football again.
4: One baseball practice, and Paul was hooked. You could put the McDonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba, I'm loving it, jingle right here, and it would not be out of place.
2: I remember getting my mom the minivan and be like, Mom, I love baseball. So that was kind of where the love of baseball started, and it's always been my favorite sport. I mean, I did, I played soccer, roller hockey, basketball through seventh grade, football up until eighth grade. We would always mess around, like tennis, golf, I mean, whatever it was, we were playing it, and so, but baseball was always my favorite, and, um, I mean, my dad grew up in Boston. He was a huge Red Sox fan, so we kind of had to play baseball. And, but, you know, like I said, they didn't want to push me, and, and, you know, they didn't. And I'm, I'm glad they at least made me try something. And that happened with many other things, whether it was, like, a music class or, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, they wanted me, and I got two younger brothers, to try stuff and not just be single-minded. And, but then, you know, if we didn't like it or we didn't want to do it, um, you know, opportunity not to force us to, to do something.
4: In the Goldschmidt family, the forcing, the pressure, the pushing, it wound up going the other way. It was Paul who wound up dragging David to the batting cage day after day after day, round after round after round. Though he traveled often for work, David made sure to be home on weekends, and no matter how tired he was, he would hit the kid fungos or toss him BP. David threw so much BP to Paul over the years that he tore his shoulder. He was spared more damage by the net he put in the garage so that Paul could hit his usual 400 balls off a tee each day. All of this made Paul a better baseball player, but not the kind of player who attracts a bunch of scouts to his high school games. No, at the Woodlands High School in 2006, where Goldschmidt was a big-bodied starting third baseman, the scouts weren't there to see him. They were there to see Kyle Drebeck. Now, if you don't know the name Kyle Drabeck, surely you know his father, Doug, he pitched 398 games in the big leagues in the 80s and 90s and won 155 of them. He was the NL Cy Young winner in 1990 with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And back in 06, Doug's son Kyle had a ton of promise to accompany his pedigree. He had a fastball that could reach the upper 90s and a polished breaking ball. Major League teams had someone in the stands for every one of his starts for the Woodlands. drebeck was widely touted as a potential first-round pick, and that's exactly what he turned out to be. The Phillies wound up taking him at number 18 overall. Draybeck would wind up pitching less than 200 innings in the big leagues. And well, that's a different sort of draft story. But the point here is that a selection in the first round was no surprise. What was surprising was that Goldschmidt got drafted too. Here's what his father remembers about that.
1: Paul and I were actually at the Woodlands High School batting cages. Back then, I don't even know if he had a cell phone. I can't even remember. Maybe he did, but cell phones were in the car, and we were at the field for a couple hours. I was throwing to him, hitting him grounders. He's getting ready for the next game of the playoffs like he wanted to work in the batting cages. We got in the car, and his phone had blown up. He had like 20 missed calls. Didn't even know he got drafted until he checked his messages.
4: Goldschmidt was taken in the 49th round, a round that no longer even exists in the MLB draft he was the 1,453rd overall pick. And he was selected by the Los Angeles Dodgers, 48 rounds after they took Clayton Kershaw. You might remember that the Dodgers once had a pretty awesome pick from another now non-existent round. Mike Piazza was a 62nd round pick in 1988, and he went on to a Hall of Fame career. As the story famously goes, Piazza was only selected as a favor from Tommy Lasorda to Piazza's father, Vince, who grew up with Lasorda in Pennsylvania. Goldschmidt was also drafted by the Dodgers as a favor. In this case, the selection was a nod to Dodger scout Chris Smith, whose son Derek was another of Goldschmidt's teammates at the Woodlands. Now, if you're saying to yourself, hey, isn't that a waste of a pick to be taking a player simply because he's teammates with the son of one of your scouts? Well... Now you know why they cut the MLB draft off after 40 rounds. That's plenty. But it is fun to think that the Dodgers could have turned another family favor into an annual all-star if only they had actually signed Goldschmidt out of high school. Realistically, that was never going to happen. Goldschmidt simply wasn't ready. But looking back, it's fair to say he should have gotten more attention, both from the big league teams and from colleges, than he did. I mean, I was a Decent player. I was
3: pretty
2: big, like I am now. I went through growth in high school. By the time my senior came out, was probably like 6'2", 220, which is probably only a little bit bigger than that now. So I was strong, but I mean, played third base. Was probably okay over there, and you know, eventually moved to first, which I'm sure most colleges and pro teams assumed. And um, I, don't know, I, th- I think I was I was pretty good. I was inconsistent at times,
4: so you know, some, just like most high school kids, but. In defense of the schools and teams alike, it's hard to know. It would have been impossible to look at an 18 year old Goldschmidt given his size and stiff movements and know he'd become not only an all world hitter but also an adept base dealer in the big leagues. But for Goldschmidt to end up at Texas State, a mid major team in the Sun Belt Conference, as opposed to one of the country's elite baseball programs, speaks to how easy it is for good talent to slip through the cracks. That Goldschmidt was able to get a look even from Texas State was a credit to Kyle Chapman Baseball, a Houston-area program that gives high schoolers good instruction and allows them to compete in league and tournament play in front of college and professional scouts. The program is run by a gentleman named Mike Rutledge. But in the summer after Goldschmidt's junior year, one of the coaches was Trip Couch, a longtime college coach from the University of Houston and the University of Texas, who at that time was scouting for, hint, hint, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Here's what Couch remembers about coaching Goldie.
3: He had a uh, he had a tough summer after his junior year, which was where, you know, a lot of the recruiting was done at that point in time. You know, obviously now we do it when they're 12 years old, but, um, you know, and that was a that's the that at that time that was the important summer for guys, and he he just didn't have the summer you know that he would have liked, to, and so I think a lot of people you know passed on him.
4: Couch and Rutledge saw enough potential in Goldschmidt to recommend him to head coach Ty Harrington at Texas State, who valued their input. Not long after Goldschmidt had verbally committed to Texas State, Georgia Tech assistant coach Josh Holiday that's Matt Holliday's brother, saw him play in a fall All-Star tournament in Arizona and made a push for him. Had Goldschmidt gone to Georgia Tech, a team that appeared in the NCAA tournament almost annually, Goldschmidt probably would have fared a lot better in the 2009 draft than he did, but he refused to go back on his word to Texas State. Kim Goldschmidt remembers the night her son made his final decision.
5: He came downstairs one night and he just said, I'm just going to commit to Texas State. And I said, well, Georgia Tech is still talking to you. Are you sure you don't want to wait? And he says, Mom, I'm not going to go there. He goes, first off, he says, you know, you still have two kids at home and you can't afford to send me there, you know, and do everything else that, that we want to do. And he says, that's the first thing. He said, second off, he goes, if I go to Georgia Tech, you're never going to see me play. If I go to Texas State, which is a three-hour drive, he goes, you can come see me play all the time.
4: Are you picking up on it now? Are you seeing what makes Paul Goldschmidt such a special style of superstar? The character? The makeup? The quality of the person beyond the quality of the ballplayer? Because soon, the Arizona Diamondbacks, at the behest of area scout Trip Couch, would see it too. Goldschmidt's Texas State career got off to a rough start. In the third inning of his fourth collegiate home game, he was hit in the left hand, breaking his hamate bone. But while it would ultimately take him six weeks to recover from that injury, he played through the pain that day and wound up getting a big hit in the ninth inning of a win over Rice. Once he got past the injury that affected his freshman year, Goldschmidt raked at Texas State. He hit 360 with a 1.136 OPS, 17 homers, and 20 doubles in 57 games his sophomore year. In his junior year, he hit 352, with a 1.172 OPS, 18 homers, and 19 doubles. He became the school's all-time leader in home runs and RBI, and he would become the first member of the Bobcat baseball program to have his jersey retired. Again, though, Texas State was a mid-major. The overall quality of the competition was in question. The wind was known to blow out at Bobcat ballpark. If you wanted to poke holes in Goldschmidt's offensive numbers, it wasn't difficult to do. And defensively, the move from 3rd base to 1st base because of his body inherently lessened his draft value. His ability to even stay at 1st base was a legitimate question because of his size. And unlike when Kyle Drayback was his teammate, Goldschmidt wasn't getting seen as readily or regularly as he was in high school. His best opportunities to get looks from Major League Scouts came in games against high-profile competition, teams like Rice, TCU, and Baylor. And by his own admission, Goldschmidt didn't always have great weekends against those teams. Couch recommended Goldschmidt for an opening in the Cape Cod League that would have likely impacted his draft stock in a positive way, but the coach in charge of that roster didn't think a kid from Texas State was worth bringing aboard. The snubbed helped keep Goldschmidt off the national radar. Couch kept sending glowing reports to the D-backs about Goldschmidt. On the scouting scale, an 80 grade is basically perfection. It is really rare. If you give a player an 80 for his power, for instance, he'd better be the second coming of Babe Ruth. But when Couch filed his report on Goldschmidt, under Makeup, he put down 80. It was a big number to live up to, but Couch believed that strongly in Goldschmidt's humility, selflessness, and ability to learn and grow. He believed Goldschmidt, who had a 3.8 GPA as a finance major, might not be as purely talented at that moment as some other hitters in the draft, but he felt that his makeup would be a separator. So one day in the fall of 2008, d backs scouting director Tom Allison was in Texas to look at players, primarily from top programs. The D-backs were going to have a lot of picks in the 2009 draft, including eight in an 80-pick span from number 16 in the first round to number 95 in the third round. Allison, a native of Alaska, where Goldschmidt had played in a summer league when the Cape Cod League rejected him, knew that if he could get it right in this draft, he'd be setting Arizona up to succeed for a long time. He wanted to get a personal look at a multitude of players in a Lone Star State, and Allison remembers Couch imploring him to meet Goldschmidt.
0: Tripp, who loved Paul Goldschmidt since he was in high school, and made sure that we were not only going to get to meet him at the ballpark, but we were going to go to lunch with him and another colleague. And at that opportunity, we sat down, and it was just talking about life and baseball and his experiences in Alaska, as this guy was over the top, uh, so fundamentally selfless, humble, uh, smart, and just such an incredible young man that
4: that really solidified, hey, we have to try and make Paul a part of the Diamondbacks' When Allison and Couch got back in the car after that lunch with Goldschmidt, Allison turned to the scout and said, You know, you might be a little light in that makeup grade. Not even 80 was enough. Because Couch's relationship with Goldschmidt stretched back so far, the D-backs had special insight into the player that other teams didn't necessarily have the time or personnel to acquire. Couch had to be the only scout in the country billing Goldschmidt as worthy of selection in the third round of the draft. And even that billing is, in retrospect, laughably low, as Couch himself acknowledges.
3: I mean, I wish, in hindsight, that I'd been smart enough to write in my report he would be a whatever six-time All-Star, a couple-time Gold Glove winner, Silver Slugger. Um, I, I was not, by no means that smart. But I do know that I wrote in a report to the man, his first manager that this guy will immediately be the leader of your club, and if there's any issues that need to be dealt with, he'll be the guy that you can go to to have them dealt with. And, you know, that part, I think that, that was the advantage we had is we, we did know that about him.
4: By the time the draft arrived, Allison knew to have Goldschmidt on his radar in the first 10 rounds. Though the D-backs were one of 21 teams that passed on Mike Trout, at least they can still say they did well at number 17. The Arizona
1: Diamondbacks select A.J. Pollock, center fielder from the University of Notre
4: Dame. But they had taken a power bat at number 16 in high school third baseman Bobby Borchering. In later rounds, they also took Matt Davidson, Mark Krause, Ryan Wheeler, and Matt Helm, all on the might of their bats. They took position players with nine of their first 12 picks. When the eighth round arrived, picking Goldschmidt threatened to create organizational redundancy. There's a belief in Tom Allison's line of work that you should always take the best player available and figure out the rest later. But that line of thinking is a lot easier to embrace when the players in question are athletic, up-the-middle talents who can conceivably play elsewhere on the diamond. For a National League club to go heavy on bat-first players with limited defensive value is a risk. But it was a risk Allison says he was willing to take to get Goldschmidt. By that time, we did take a lot of
0: bat-first guys, and even a comment was made in the draft of where are we going to play these guys? We have this uh, continual theme of bat-only, and I just looked over at the supervisor Uh, Steve McAllister, and said, this is the right guy to take for the Diamondbacks at this time. So we went ahead and took Paul knowing uh, we were getting a bat first guy and uh, knew that the makeup was so strong. Part of what Paul Goldschmidt's all about is his continual theme of how do I make myself better in all walks of my life? Between the lines, how do I become a better fielder? How do I become a better base runner? How do I become better with my nutrition? And that's one thing his uh, hitting coach was Alan Zenter, and he talked to me about just how Paul came to him and said, I want to restructure, you know, what my body is, how I eat, and how I go about playing first base and and how I run the bases. Paul wanted to be the all-around good player and maximize his tools and abilities to be the best version of
4: himself. Allison obviously didn't know all of this when he drafted Goldschmidt but the character assessment made him feel a lot better about things when Couch called him shortly after the draft with good news and bad news. The good news? Couch had gotten Goldschmidt to sign and to begin his professional career. The bad news? He had to give him a $95,000 signing bonus to get the deal done, and that was $5,000 over what Allison had allotted for that pick in his draft budget. Here's what Allison had to say about that. You have a budget, and, of course, we had a lot of extra
0: picks that year. So we were spending a lot of money, and as uh, silly as it seems now, at the moment it was like, wow, I do have to report back to my supervisors that we have gone over budget. And, uh, you know, again, getting the player signed is the ultimate goal, and we laugh about it now uh, of what a
4: tremendous player Paul's become. While Allison was scrambling to get that extra five grand for Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt himself was scrambling to get proper equipment. Here's what David Goldschmidt told Richard Justice about that.
1: What's funny is, I remember this, so he's going off to play professional baseball and his minor leaguers, I mean, he didn't have an agent. So he didn't have glove deal, bat deal. <laughs> he didn't have anything. He had to go to big Sporting Goods. And uh, I mentioned it to Tripp and, and this guy, Mike Rul- Rutledge, from uh, Kyle Chapman whose son in law used to play the used to play some professional baseball. They rounded up some bats and the glove and they brought it over thinking like you gotta leave with some stuff. I went to the local sporting goods store and they helped us with the deal for a first baseman new first baseman's mick. He had no literally no equipment.
4: Did you go in and tell him this is
1: for a future Arizona Diamondback? Um, we told them the story. They knew who he was obviously from yeah. from the Woodlands and um, <laughs> It's Dugout Sports right there on you remember old Dugout Sports yeah. right there in forty five. I don't know if the same guy owns it, but he he uh, gave him a glove. He gave I remember it was a Rawlings, uh, what's that pro preferred? Stiffest glove I've ever Because he didn't have an he, you know, he never had a agent when he was in college.
4: So with his new contract and new glove, Goldschmidt ventured off into what would become a prominent professional career. That extra five thousand dollars in the big picture it would prove a pittance for a player like Goldie. Because of the commitment to becoming a better defender, a better base runner, and a better eater, he ascended quickly. On August 1, 2011, he got the call straight to the big leagues from AA Mobile.
3: Base hit right field. First base hit in the big leagues for Paul as he serves it into right. Miguel Montero hustles in the third. Welcome to the Major League's Paul
4: Goldschmidt. Well, that was pretty as well. Go ahead and throw that ball out. The first of hopefully thousands for Paul Goldschmidt. He has not spent a single day in the minor leagues since. A fact that amazes his parents.
1: This is going to sound crazy. I mean, I still don't believe he's playing in the big leagues. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. As parents, I mean, you want him to do good, you want him to enjoy it. You know, at first it was like, well, I hope he wants to play in high school. Well, I hope he makes the high school team. Well, maybe he can play after high school, and then he gets to play in college, and you never thought for a second he'd play professional baseball or be a really good player right now. So
0: So it must be surreal when you see him on TV.
1: still is to
4: this day. Every day. And to think, it all started with a Happy Meal from Mickey D's. I hope you enjoyed this look at Paul Goldschmidt's draft story. Thanks to my producer, Marissa Morris, and thanks to MLB.com reporters Jennifer Langosh and Richard Justice for their interview assistance with this episode. Thanks to Paul, David, and Kim Goldschmidt, Trip Couch, and Tom Allison for helping us tell this story. If you like the show, be sure to download the other episodes in this series to hear the 2009 draft stories of Mike Trout, Stephen Strasberg, Nolan Arenado, J.D. Martinez, and Jeff Luno. You can subscribe to this series wherever you get your podcasts. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us to help others find the show. Until next time, I'm Anthony Kastrovitz. Thanks for listening.